What we're going to do today is we're still in Colossians. <laughs> we're still in Colossians. Uh, Colossians chapter 4, go there, and also we'll be in Isaiah chapter uh, 62. And Colossians 4, we've gotten to the point that normally this is where everyone wraps up and just goes on to the next thing. This is the end of this epistle when Paul is uh, saying goodbye to everyone um, and he's listing a bunch of names. And so what we've done is spent some time going through these names and I hope it's been really edifying to you. And so we are at, uh, just pick it up in chapter 4, verse 10, and I'll explain what we're going to do today. Chapter 4, verse 10. It says, my fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. We've talked about both of those guys. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. So verse 11, this is the the new guy that we're going to introduce today. Are you at verse 11? What's the name? It says, Jesus... Okay, and then it's not that one though, okay? So look, he also says, who is called Justice also sends his greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. So what we've done is we've gone through, um, and each week we spend a little time, you know, we've gone back and said, hey, when was this guy first introduced? Where do we see him later on? Where can we see the Lord working through him? So here's the challenge with this guy, Jesus, also named Justice, is who wants to guess how many verses we have about him in the Bible? Just take a guess. One. One. And not the other Jesus. The other Jesus, we have plenty of verses. But this character right here, we have one verse about him, okay? And so all this week, honestly, I've been thinking, what, can we just skip it? Can we, just, can we just skip this guy? Can we pretend he's not there? Can we do that thing that if we don't understand something, we just read through it real quick and hope that nobody notices? And all this week, I really feel like the Lord's like, no. Because what the Bible says in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, it says, and, and I hope you believe this because we want to be a church about this. The Bible says, hey, most of Scripture is inspired of God. Right? You know that verse? No. It says what? All Scripture is inspired, and that word inspired means God breathed, and then it says, and is useful. So this is really challenging for me this week. So don't miss this. Colossians chapter 4, verse 11, I guarantee nobody has this bumper sticker, right? Mm, Jesus, who is called justice, sends his greeting. I guarantee no one posts that on Facebook now this week. Now, some of y'all, because you're smart, Alex, are going to post it on Facebook, and I'll be watching for it. This is not a feel-good verse. This is not one that has a bunch of theology wrapped in, but it's just one single thing. And, but the Lord says, all Scripture is useful for teaching and inspired by God. And so all this week, I've been going through saying, what are we supposed to talk about with this guy? And, and, and listen to how silly this is. I would say, uh, and what I'm about to say is a very Western mindset, because we are all a bunch of Westerners. Is, is anyone in this room not born, let's just say in the United States, anyone not? We're just a bunch of white people, right? Yeah. So we're all born into a Western culture, and so what I'm about to say is very Western, is this was my thought all week was this, hey, all we have is his name. That's all we have is his name. And, and my Western mind, mindset concludes, since we have his name, we don't really know anything about him. Now, in the original first century, in an Eastern mindset, it's the exact opposite. 
exact opposite is all someone needed to know was your name, okay? And so what I wanna do today is I wanna talk about what's in a name, right? When we have this guy, all we have is his name. Now for us, we don't have any accomplishments, uh, we don't have his diaries. We don't have what he did. It's just a name. And so this is difficult for us. And so what we're going to do here, um, if anyone has ever been a teacher or is a teacher, you know that part of teaching someone any something, anything new, you usually have to unteach some things. You all know what I mean when I say that? So I was, um, it was, I guess it was about nine or ten years ago, I was a math teacher in um, Irving, Texas, when Kinsey and I lived in Dallas, um, and I, I taught for uh, one year, and it was right before I went into seminary, and I taught juniors and seniors, and I taught Algebra 2. Now, keep your little math things to yourself, okay? Just because y'all are bad at it doesn't mean all of us are, okay? So I taught Algebra 2, really liked it, really enjoyed it, um, really liked the kids, um, and it was, it, was a good, it was a good year. It was very challenging, but here's, the, here's the, one of my biggest takeaways is when those kids walked in the first day of school, my first job wasn't to teach them math. My first job was to unteach all the falsehoods they bring in with them. Are you with me on that? My, my first job was to get them to lay down these false ideas and these lies that they're carrying. And the number one, now listen, there were, there were plenty of mathematical mistakes. Like these kids, I mean, just with fractions and stuff like that, like with uh, what's the difference between, you know, um, an, an equation and a... Um, I don't know, all sorts of different stuff that we could have gone through. But the number one thing I had to unteach them didn't have anything to do with fractions, didn't have anything to do with multiplication, didn't have anything to do with logarithms or anything. It had to do with this mindset. Most of them, when they walked in the door, carried this with them. I can't do math. That's what most of them thought. And it had nothing to do. Most of them carried that false identity of I can't do math. And so over the first several weeks, maybe even months, we spent just tearing that down. Because guys, let me tell you, um, it, it, I, I like calculus, by the time it gets to calculus, that's when it gets really fun, okay? Trig, not so much. Geometry is pretty fun. But do you want to know what calculus is? It's adding, subtracting, multiplying, and dividing. Do you want to know what algebra is? It's adding, subtracting, multiplying, and dividing. It's not hard. It's not hard. Do you want to know what geometry is? It's adding, subtracting, multiplying, and dividing shapes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you, Tristan. <laughs> right? It's not hard. The difficult thing is these kids would carry in with them this false idea of I can not do math. And so what I want to do today is spend probably the whole time trying to disassemble uh, this idea of with a name, it just means nothing. That our names don't mean anything. Because in our world, someone's name, it, we don't really understand. But we have a partial understanding of the power that names have, right? I think names have more power than we realize. Um, someone's name is their greatest link to their identity and individuality. Um, I have different names for people and they have different names for me at different times. 
Some of them are cute. Some of them I'm not allowed to say in church on Sunday morning, right? Um, sometimes I've had great nicknames, sometimes bad nicknames. Um, even the name that we give to one another can greatly impact. Um, like if growing up, if my mom looked at me and said, hey, Russ, okay? Okay, that's fine. And everybody knows this. Growing up, if you got middle named, Russell Robert, it was over. You know what I mean? And I think that's the only reason we have middle names is to invoke fear in our children. Um, hearing your name on a list, scientists say when even uh, if you hear your name on a list, like you have a cognitive response that they can monitor, they can see your brain fire when you hear uh, your name. Uh, every time someone says your name, they're screaming out you're important. Um, it gives you a sense of importance or not. Um, it can be a sign of courtesy or disrespect. And these names have much more power than we realize. I found an article. Let me just read this. It says, social scientists believe that names produce a Dorian Gray effect influencing personality, how we're perceived, and even physical appearance. In psychology, the Dorian Gray effect refers to the ways that internal factors such as personality or self-perception influence physicality. Recently, researchers from Hebrew University in Jerusalem decided to test whether stereotypes and labels can also have this effect on physical appearance. This is extremely fascinating. Specifically, they wanted to find out if the name a person is given at birth impacts how they look later in life. The study hypothesized that this early label marks all those who bear the same name similarly, so much so that other people can match a name to a face based on expectations of how someone with a certain name is likely to look. Are you following this? In other words, name stereotypes manifest themselves physically in facial appearance. And so they did a study here across uh, eight different studies in two countries. The research team found that both people and even computers could pick the right name for a given face with more accuracy than if they had just guessed. That means common notions of how a person with a certain face would look were correct. There was a right name for a face type. Each name is associated with a character, behaviors, and facial appearance, the researchers explained. Face name typing likely works on many levels, the study suggests, because we have shared ideas of what names connote. People with those names may grow into them by adapting expected behavior, facial expressions, and looks. And perceivers will also have expectations based on social coding. So here, here's the last thing it says. So say as a child your name is Rose, that, that you are named Rose. What they say is social coding may direct you to act more feminine to smile more, to wear dresses, and to grow your hair long, whereas uh, this is perhaps unconsciously expected more of a woman named for a flower than a woman who is named Alexandra and goes by Alex 
a name in the U.S. that is common for males and females. Alex may feel more free to bend gender stereotypes because her name and how people see her and vice versa. She'll be less likely to be less floral somehow than Rose. The research concluded that names are a kind of self-fulfilling prophecy. Once a baby is named, the child may well develop into an adult who looks and acts the part. Is that fascinating? This, in, this isn't hypothesis. This is fact. They found this out. And so what this means is if you name a child Dave, that child will grow to look like a Dave in our culture. And, and the facts show that people, when they would randomly show a face and they would show the face and it would say Dave, Tom, Frank, whatever, it said it, they would give them five names and they would most accurately be able to say that looks like a Dave. And, and so a Dave grows into a Dave, a, a, a Jim grows into a Jim, a Rose grows into a Rose, right? And so I believe that names have much more power than we believe. What you're called affects you mentally and even physically is what this study is showing, right? This is incredible. Now, here's the thing. This is why I think names are so important is, is keep this all in mind as well. In the end, in the book of Revelation, in the book of life, what's opened up and there's only one thing that's in the book of life. What's in there? Just your name. Don't miss that. The only thing that matters in the end is your name in this book of life. No accomplishments, no church attendance record, no how much we gave to the church, nothing. All that matters is your name. And so this is what I want to try to, remember I said I want to try to unteach something, is the world tells us that our authority and our identity come from our accomplishments, from what we do, right? We live in a success-driven world where your identity is based in what you do. Uh, We are, we even ingrain this in kids, like when you talk to a, a child one of the most common questions we ask them when they start getting a little bit older is this phrase, when we're thinking about their future, is we say, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? Man, that's a loaded question. Do you recognize that? Like, what are we communicating to children? Like, what, what you are right now, you aren't a thing yet. Think about this. And I'm not, I don't want to blow this out of proportion. What are we communicating? And we've all, we all grew up underneath this what you are right now, you're not a thing yet. You're, you're just a nothing. But when you grow up, what do you want to be? We're asking them, what do you want your career to be? What do you want to accomplish? And we're placing all their identity in this thing that's in the future. And I want to teach my children that if they're ever asked that question, I, I would love for them to look at that adult and go, what do you mean what I want to be? I'm going to be me. Like, that, that's who I am. I'm, what do I want to be? And I want them to teach the, well, eh, never mind. That would be very rude. I was going to say, that's a stupid question. That would be terrible to say. But for them, but do you see what I'm saying? And, and so even from a, a young age, and then when, they get, when we get into school, that's when we start with, uh, hey, what's your class rank? That's a big deal now in middle school and high school is where do you compare with everyone. And then even with when someone graduates, it's not good enough. It's you got to have the tassels and you got to have the thing and you got to have the honor society. And it's all about comparing ourselves. And really we're comparing ourselves based on our accomplishments, what we've done. 
This is what we grow up under, right? And the adult version of what's your class rank is in our Western mind, remember all we're trying to do is unteach some things. When I walk up to somebody and I say, hey, what's your name? And they say, Rick. And of course we immediately forget it. What's the number one question we ask? What do you do? Why is that? Because we're trying to form an identity. We're trying to form, and, and honestly, I, I believe, if we're being honest, I think we're just trying to see how we measure up. I really do believe that, right? Like if, if I go up and, and, and I say, hey, what's your name? And he says, Rick, and I say, what do you do? And he says, oh, I'm a tenured professor at so-and-so university. What do I instinctively, instantly do? What do I do? I, I compare myself to him, and, and, and I look like, okay, I'm down here, you know? versus, hey, what do you do? Oh, I walk along the side of the road and collect cans and recycle them. Okay, what do I do? I feel a little bit better than that dude, don't I? I do, I'm just being honest, right? And so this is what our culture does is we put all of our identity in what are you doing? And this is why I believe we are so exhausted because we constantly compare ourselves to one another's by success. This is why the the common thing you can hear if you want to sound important is when someone says, hey, how you been? What do you say? Busy. Been so busy. What does that communicate? I'm just so, I've got so many things I need to do. I have so many things I need to be working on. Busy, 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 right? This is in our world. This is a way for us to say, I am, I'm, I'm important. And, and so, like, even as individuals, we are screaming out to one another, am I enough? Am I enough? Am I enough? Have I done enough? Have I accomplished enough? Are you, are you guys impressed yet? Do I make enough money? Is my house big enough? Have I lost enough weight? Are my kids successful enough? And we are screaming with one another, am I enough? Am I enough? Am I enough? And, and the gospel of Jesus Christ says, you are completely enough, but it has nothing to do with what you've accomplished, and it has everything to do with your new name in Jesus, right? And so look in Isaiah 62. I want to talk about, um, in Scripture, um, all throughout the Bible, the Bible paints this really beautiful picture of the relationship between God and between humanity. Um, and what, what God does is He says, I want to paint this picture on earth of what my relationship, what my covenant to you looks like. And so what He does is, is God creates this thing called marriage. And so in marriage, He says, I want to paint a picture of what is happening when someone becomes united with Christ. And this is something that I believe we see it all the time because we've, we've been to a few uh, what are they called? Weddings. Um, but I think we miss what's actually happening here. So look in Isaiah chapter 62. Just start. We're just going to do, I think, um, five verses. Isaiah 62 verse 1. It says, For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet till her righteousness shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. So I'll just point one thing out here. It's, it's really not what I wanted to talk about today, but it says for, it doesn't say for, I'll just say it this way. It doesn't say for Russell's sake. Do you see that? It doesn't say for my comfort. It doesn't say for my convenience sake. It says what? 
for Zion's sake, for Jerusalem's sake, for the sake of something bigger than us individually. And again, this is very countercultural because we live in a me-driven society. We live in the world where our, our false, false gospel is the um, isolated gospel, where what? It's just me and Jesus. And that is completely divorced from what Scripture teaches about Christ and His church. But anyways, I just wanted to throw that out there. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet. Till her righteousness shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. Nations, uh, the nations will see your righteousness and all kings your glory you will be called by a what? New name. Now, the importance of, of, of a name in our English Bible, sometimes we miss what's happening here. When it says new name, that's uh, talking about the new authority that's in you. That's talking about your new identity. Okay, so think about it. We're going to parallel this with what you see at a wedding. Every time you go to a wedding, um, there's, there's tons of really cool pictures um, at a wedding. So, so think about this. Any, anytime I do a wedding, I'm standing up there, and who's standing with me? The groom. Okay, some of y'all not sure. That's okay. <laughs> Pay attention next time. I'm standing up there to officiate, and right here there's a groom. What do I have to have to have a wedding? I've got to have a groom and what? A bride. So these other guys, some grooms have like 58 groomsmen. Honestly, they don't, they're not really important. Uh, sure, glad you're up here. Okay, so I've got a groom. And so these are wonderful pictures of God, uh, Jesus Christ, and his bride. Because what is the groom doing? Waiting. He's sitting here, and every wedding I've ever done has never started on time, okay? And, and what I always say is when, when the gal gets up there, I say, man, you look beautiful. And I say, we've, we've been, um, I, and I look and I say, man, your groom has been waiting for you all day. No one is as excited as he is. And, and if it's been a long time, I'll say, we've actually all been waiting for you, like 20 minutes, but that's beside the point. He's been eagerly waiting to see you, right? And so let me back up. And so when she turns the corner, dun, 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 or, or whatever it is, dun, 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 one of those two, I can't remember. Um, she's in her white dress, right? Signifies complete purity. This is how Jesus Christ sees his church, that he looks at us, he doesn't see, and notice how uncultural this is. The bride isn't holding up a diploma. The, the bride isn't pulling a U-Haul with all her stuff, right? The, the bride doesn't have a list of her accomplishments. The bride is not holding up her bank account. None of this. What, what is it? The bride is just pure, how Jesus sees the church. And, and then she comes down, but notice she's not alone. Who's she coming with? The Father. Okay, now don't miss this. And, and don't, uh, don't make this man versus woman argument. This is an image of Jesus and his church. So when she walks down that aisle the first time, whose authority is she under? Who is she locked arms with? Her Father. Whose name does she carry when she comes down that aisle? Her father's name. Why is that? Because a name attaches authority with it. Okay? And then she stops right here. 
And what happens is then I, I look at the dad and I say, who gives this bride to be away? And guys, this is a huge moment in a wedding. This is enormous, but I think we miss what's happening there. What happens? The dad says, usually something along the lines of her mother and I do. And then what he does is, is he turns to her and takes her veil off. And then what does he do? He takes her hand and what? He brings it up and he lets go. And who grabs a hold of her hand? The groom. Okay? And so then we do the thing, blah, 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 sing a song. Do you? Yes. Do you? Yes. That's a paraphrase. Okay? I do him better than that. And, and then they, they look at each other and, and they make this thing called a covenant and they put on a, a ring. Uh, usually with, with the ring is just a symbol. It's nothing more than just a symbol. And then they turn to face everybody. And then what's the last thing I say? I now have the uh, pronounce to you. Wh- what do I say? Mr. and Mrs. what? And when she, now don't miss this, when she comes down that aisle the first time, this is the last time she has that name. And when that dad hands off his daughter, that name has been transferred and the authority over the bride. Don't make this about man and wife, make this about Jesus and his bride. And so when she goes back down the aisle, she has what? A new name and and a new authority that she lives under okay and so again i'll say it one more time now this idea of authority especially right now in our culture it's it's a real touchy subject we don't do well with it we don't Uh, but but don't miss me here what if i told you that your groom was perfect what if i told you that your master if we were talking slave and master relationship what if i said that your master was absolutely all loving that knew everything that was good for you, right? That, this, that he would literally die for you. What if I told you that was your new authority? Suddenly, we're no longer arguing with authority, right? But anyways, don't, don't miss that. So everything that happens at a wedding is this transfer of name and transfer of authority and, and transfer of who I am identified with and am. And so look at here in Isaiah, he says, um, you will be called by a new name. So when you read that, don't just see name, but see authority that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem diadem in the hand of your God. A diadem is just another word for crown. And so don't miss what's happening here. He's saying, here's an image of a crown. And what does a crown do? What does it do? It signifies what? Authority, right? It's the same thing with the, with the wedding ring. If I put a crown on you, it signifies your authority as the king. Um, the, verse 4, no longer will they call you deserted or name your land desolate, but you will be called Hephzibah, which means my delight is in her, and your land will be called Beulah, which the word Beulah means to marry or to rule over. For the Lord will take delight in you, and your land will be married. As a young man marries a maiden, so will your sons marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over 
you. And so do you see this picture specifically when it talks about a new name? Do you see this picture that takes place with weddings that is this image of Christ and his church that it, there's a lot more going on than just, hey, I got a new name. Do y'all see that now? Okay, so, so here's, the, here's the problem is that we don't live in a perfect world right? Is that the Lord has given us a new name. He's given us a new authority that if we are united with Christ, and please hear me say that, that old authority, does it have any say in our lives? It doesn't, right? And so when that dad hands off his daughter, who has authority now? The groom does. And the reality is, and don't miss this, when the bride leaves, who gets left behind? Dad. Why? Because he's my old authority, right? And, and so this is the reality of what, what it means to be a Christian, what it means to believe, is that we have died to ourselves, we had died to the world, right? And that we have left that old authority behind, we've left that old name behind, and we go on, and we all live it out perfectly, and we don't ever struggle with the old name, right? Okay, good. I'm glad some of y'all laughed, right? Because here's the reality is that the truth is that we have this new name, this new authority, but does, is anyone else struggling with those old names? Is anyone else struggling with those old identities? Is anyone else struggling like those kids that, that walked into a math class? Which, by the way, they've got a clean slate when they walk in, but they're carrying in all this false stuff. Anyone else struggle with that? Anyone else? Well, the reason is that is because we still live in this world where Satan is, right? Satan, uh, the name Satan means the accuser, right? He, now, to accuse someone doesn't attach any meaning to it. To, I can call you anything I want. That doesn't make it true, right? But we can let it affect us. That's what Satan does. He accuses us. And Satan knows our new name, but he, he, he will never call you by your new name. He won't. He calls you by your sin. We are constantly barraged by these false names, right? Um, for many of us, this is something we talk about a lot. Everybody in this room, you're born to be something. You remember us saying this? You are born to be something. Um, it's partially generational. Um, some of y'all are born to be drunks, right? Some of y'all are born to be adulterers. Some of y'all are born to be apathetic. Some of y'all are born to be materialistic or flaky, right? Super encouraging right now, I know, right? But th it's in our blood. That's, that's the authority we're born under, right? And this is one of the false names that even as Christians is that we can hear is, is we still hear, we still hear these things whispered to us of, hey, you're, you just, you're a faker. Hey, you're an adulterer. Hey, you're going to be a drunk one day, right? Or we hear these false names about um, our insecurities, you know, even about body image, about finances, about your abilities, about your job, about what you do, that you're not good enough. We hear these false names about our fears of the future, that you're just going to be, you're just going to end up being a bad mom. You're going to be a bad dad. Or, or we hear these false names uh, from Satan that says, hey, you, you, um, you're just like your mom. Or these false names that say you're just like 
your dad. Do you see that that is that old authority yelling at us? You know, that, that's a picture of the bride has left with her groom and imagine if the, the dad runs after the bride and is still holding on to her. Do you see that picture? That's what life is. That's what Satan, he's, he's yelling us these false names. Uh, we can even, some of our false names are our past failures um, because we're not successful as the world would call. We're, it's a reminder of our failed careers or failed relationships or maybe we've tried something new and just failed. I think this is one of the reasons, this is what I think so you can disagree. I think this is why some people just stop learning. I think this is why some adults stop learning things new because they're afraid to fail. I think, I, I truly believe this is why some adults, if you go up and say, hey, what are you learning? What new things? They haven't learned a new thing in 20 years. Why? Because I'm afraid I'm going to fail. And if I don't try, I can't fail. You know? Um, I think it's a self-protecting mechanism. I want my girls to see me try and fail stuff all the time. Like, y'all know before the Rona, like I used to go to, uh, about once a week, maybe every other week I'd go to Dallas and I started playing hockey. It was, I'm not joking. And it's so much fun. And guys, I'm terrible. I am awful, but I'm getting better. But here's, here's the thing. Nobody's having more fun on that ice than Russell is. I can promise you that. Like, and I've even told you all this. It's so bad that there are times after a few minutes, like there are times the puck will come to me and the other team will slow down and the other team is saying, you got it, big guy? Like the other team. You got it, man? Like I'm that much of not a threat because they know we're going to get the puck. We don't even have to, like I'll just give it to them. But, but the point is, is, is I'm having fun, I'm trying something new, and here's my whole point, is, is I want my girls, I want my daughters to see their dad learning new things and having fun and, and realizing, and I don't have to be good at it. I don't have to be successful to enjoy something, right? And that I can have joy despite my circumstances. I want them to see that. But I, I, I truly believe so many adults, they have stopped learning. They've stopped trying new hobbies. Why? Because I think they're afraid to fail. Why is that? Because I believe that, that false name is being projected on them. If you're just a failure, you can't try new things, right? And this is, this is the world we live in. For, and I think for us, this is our battle, is knowing our new name and living out of it. This is why we're constantly needing to remind each other of who we are, retelling the gospel. We're prone to forget. Um, this is why I ask wives, listen, I don't know what it's like to be a woman. Um, hopefully that's not a surprise to you. I know it's hard. I really do. I know it's tough. I know it's tough being a woman. I, uh, well, I don't know, but I, I believe it is. But I know it is hard to be a man. It is so hard to be a man of God. So hard. And so this is why one of those things I always encourage wives to find ways to tell your husband you're a good man. Like to constantly tell them that. And husbands, vice versa, to your wives, you are an incredible wife. Why is that? Because we constantly need to hear these things. Why? Because we're constantly told otherwise. We are constantly told that we're a failure. We are constantly told that there's someone else who's better. Name a hobby. Name a hobby. And in 10 seconds, I can find, 
unlimited videos on YouTube of people that are better than you. For real, name, name it and I'll find a, so, tons of ways that you're not as, as good as you think. And the world screams at you because you're not the best, you cannot enjoy it, you cannot have success, right? Anyways, please remind your husbands they're a good man. Um, and so this whole, this whole image is, um, this is our battle, is don't, please guys, don't bow down to that false authority. Don't do it, right? You have left that old authority. You left it at the altar. You went down the aisle hand in hand with Jesus Christ. You went down the aisle with a new authority, with a new name, and don't look back because that old authority is going to be chasing after you. That old authority is going to be screaming at you. That old authority, and and here's the thing also, even if you go back to that old authority, you are not bound to them anymore. Don't miss that. If you have been married to Jesus Christ, there, there is no such thing as being remarried again. You are bound to Christ. You can act like you're not, but you, you can't do it. And so please don't bow down to this false authority. So here's the last thing I'll say, is I think we all bow down in ways we don't know. You know, like even with, if we say, hey, we want to go meet our neighbors. We want to go step out in faith we want to start being more assertive with spreading the gospel to our friends at school. What's, what do we instinctively, what's the first thing we start doing? We come up with a l- list of reasons why we shouldn't, right? Are y'all with me on this? Hey, we want y'all to go, just go meet your neighbors. Well, I'm, and listen, listen to how, when I say these words, how I'm bowing down to authority. Well, I'm just not very good with words. What have I done there? I've given that old authority power. I'm speaking power into it, right? Or, hey, you know, maybe one of your friends needs to hear the gospel spoken to them. Well, I don't know all the answers. We write that, you know? What are we doing there? We're just bowing down to that old authority. Or I may look silly. Or here's here's one of the authorities I think we all bow down to, probably more than we realize. Well, that's going to make me uncomfortable. And Jesus would never ask me to be uncomfortable. Right? And we bow down. And and think about that. For many of us, our filter, our filter is, if it makes me uncomfortable, the answer is no. Think about that. And I'm I'm talking about Christians. that, That we stand up and we sing our songs and we say, Jesus, I would give my life for you. Jesus, I would... I would, I would die for the gospel. Okay, w- will you do something that makes you slightly uncomfortable? No. Will you, will you go talk to someone you don't know? No. Why? Well, I might look silly. What are we doing? We are bowing down to this false authority of comfort. It makes me uncomfortable. When you do those things, we're speaking power into our old name. So this guy, we only have his name. And I started out, I asked the question, what's in the name? Guys, everything's in the name. Everything is in the name, right? If you went up to Kinsey and said, hey, uh, hey, Miss Ligon, come here. I hope she ignores you. Why? I hope she looks at you and says, that's not who I am. And, And even if you think about this, even if you had a legal document that said Kinsey Ligon on it and said, hey, look at this legal document. 
I hope that she'd go up and say, yeah, that doesn't have any authority. That, that's not my name. But that's what Satan does, is he goes up with your old name, and, it, and, and even you may even look and say, holy crap, that's my signature. Does that bind you at all? Uh-uh, only the authority uh, that you give it. So what's in a name? Man, it's all in the name. And so this is the last question I'll ask, is just start being aware of where do we bow down to these false authorities, especially that one of comfort. The first thing I said was, I want us to just unteach something. Start thinking about that. Start praying, Lord, reveal to me what false names, what false authorities do I, do I yield to, all right? What things do I need to unlearn? What am I carrying into this classroom that is not true, that is not true? Um, and then when the Lord gives you an answer, respond to it, right? Don't just say, mm, I'm going to think about it and wait till the right time, <laughs> okay? Or, ooh, I'll just journal about that. Or, oh, I'll bring it up in small group. No. Respond to it. Respond to it. This is why Jesus in the last day is going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. It doesn't, it doesn't say successful servant. And what's the first thing he said? He said what? Well done. Not well said. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. Not well said, good and successful Christian. Big, big difference. Uh, let me um, pray for us. I think that's enough for today. Father, thank you for today. God, thank you that we have a new name in you. And Lord, I pray that we would um, viciously recognize and reject the old authority in our life. That we would viciously it maybe even turn and say, stop, stop following me. I'm, I'm not under your authority anymore. I'm, I'm united here, and this is my new name. And Lord, I pray that when we would hear those voices, because we all do, I know we do, those voices of you're not good enough, you're not the best, so you shouldn't try it, or those voices of you're just like your mom, you're just like your dad, or those voices of is, you're not educated enough, your career isn't impressive enough, that we would turn and say those are lies straight from hell. And in the name of Jesus, we want to be set free from those and so we could walk in this uh, new life down the aisle with Jesus. And so, uh, Lord, that's our prayer, that we'd be men and women bold enough to turn and reject those things. And then um, we just pray that this week we would act them out, that we wouldn't just think about them, that we wouldn't just say, yeah, amen, but that we would, that we would act on our new name. And so thank you that even when we feel like that's not enough, that's enough. That's more than enough. What's in a name? And there's a lot in a name. So this is our prayer. We love you, Lord. Amen.